well. Thank you. Yeah. Well, it was a great time, and, um, you know, we're not sure that we're going to make this an annual thing. Uh, in fact, probably uh, our thinking at this point, if you're curious, is that we might try to do this every two years. Uh, but because of the fact that Scott Shelton got this sabbatical, um, and some of that money is supposed to go towards another all-church retreat in this next year, we're going to have one next year. So uh, it'll be uh, the last weekend of August uh, of next year, 27, is that, no, what's, 2016, yeah, yeah. Is this 1990? No. Okay. All right. So uh, it'll be uh, of 2016. And so um, so if you are interested in going, um, go ahead and kind of cross off those dates, Friday through Sunday, the last weekend of August. Um, it'll be a great time, probably back down at Brown County again. All right, brothers and sisters, before I kind of dive in, let me make one last I was trying to think of the right word. Plea is a little bit strong. But one last mention, I know Scott already did this, about home groups, uh, about the reality of how important I think these home groups are. We had a great home group leader meeting last week. Um, and just a reminder of the relationships that have formed, uh, of how people have been changed, um, and how people have grown closer to who Christ is and where Christ is calling us to go through the home group. So, again, it starts tonight for many groups, but uh, I would encourage you one more time time to go out in the gathering space. If you have any questions, remember, all you're signing up for is 10 weeks. So 10 weeks, that's it. Just 10 times do you have to meet with this motley crew of folks, whomever it is. And if you decide you don't want to, that's fine. We're not going to guilt you into staying. Um, But we would encourage you to think about doing that. It's very important for who we are here at ZPC. And so now let me look at The Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, verses 1 through 10, as we continue our look at the parables of Jesus. Luke writes, Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost." Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light up a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning with its autumnal feel and its reminder of how you are always doing a new thing. We give you praise for your creation, 
for the ways in which it speaks to your name. We give you praise for your word, God. For the way that it glorifies you, for the way that it reminds us that we are loved by you, and for the way in which it calls us out. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. So this 15th chapter of Luke is basically the lost and found section of the Bible. It consists only of three parables, all three parables about things being lost and then being rediscovered. The third parable, the last one, of course, is the most famous. It's the story of the prodigal son. And since we talked about that last spring, we're not going to talk about it this fall. But the other two, of course, are also talking about things that have been lost, whether it be a sheep or a coin. The question, of course, that we always want to begin with is what's the context of this? What is, if the parables are the answers, what is the question that is being asked or what is the issue that is being addressed? And not surprisingly, the impetus behind the parable are some Pharisees and some scribes, religious leaders. Religious leaders are oftentimes a bit annoying. Amen? That's the loudest amen the 9 o'clock has ever done. So sure enough, here you have the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders who are, who are there, and they are upset because of the way, of course, Jesus is welcoming and eating with tax collectors and sinners, as Luke calls them. Now, as I always like to remind us, whenever it comes to something like this and Jesus eating meals, I always like to remind you that this is much more than what it means for us today, right? This is not Jesus happening into some people at the, you know, at the mall food court or something, and they just happen to be eating within some kind of proximity to one another. No, this is much more than that. In fact, even just the word welcome that the Pharisees and the scribes use, even that can literally be translated as to bring into one another's arms. In other words, what Jesus is doing with these sinners and these tax collectors is not holding them at arm's length, but is embracing them. We remember, of course, we've talked about this, of the importance of having a meal together. Someone has talked about the fact that one of the attributes oftentimes of these meals together is that you would come around and the the, the host would sit there, and and as they were having the meal, the host would give a compliment, say something kind about each of the guests that were there. And then after that, each of the guests would then, in kind, say something nice about the host who was having them, right? And this is probably not like when you were a kid or something, you know, and I had to say something nice about my sister, and I was like, well, you're not as annoying as you were last week, something like that. These were probably genuine words of kindness and graciousness, right? And so what is Jesus doing? Jesus is not just eating with them. He is finding good in them. He is engaging with them. He is living life 
with the sinner, with the tax collector, with the outcast. The religious leaders were upset that he wasn't simply and only welcoming them and their kind. Jesus, rather than kind of taking them on directly, which would have only raised their ire and their defenses, he decides to tell them some stories. He begins with the story of the sheep. Which one of you, Jesus says, if you had a hundred sheep and one of them was lost, wouldn't leave the 99 in the wilderness and go to find that lost sheep? I oftentimes wonder if that was somewhat of a rhetorical question because if that question had been asked to me, I have a feeling I might have said, well, me. I don't think I would do that. I mean, it's been well attested. I'm sure you've heard Sermon talk about the reality that leaving these 99 in the wilderness was probably not the smartest of things to have done because Jesus very easily could have gone, found the one, walked back only to find 99 sheep who were no longer there. I always wonder what the 99 are thinking when the shepherd is gone. What are we, chop mutton over here? I mean, why would he leave us? Who cares about Stewie? Let Stewie die. I mean, how dumb of a sheep do you have to be to not be able to keep up with the other 99? This is not rocket science. Look at the sheep in front of you and keep going. But That's not, of course, what Jesus tells us in the story. And then to top it off, then the shepherd comes back and he once he returns to the community, he has a huge celebration. He wants to, he calls everybody in, right? To, let's rejoice. Let's have a party of sorts because we have found the one sheep. And in case they didn't quite get it, Jesus said, you know, this is just like it is in heaven. They are so much more excited about the one who has been found than they are about the 99 who are already here. Not not real subtle, this Jesus guy. But Jesus, clearly realizing that they probably were still fairly dense to what the conversation is about, he tells them yet one more story. He tells them the story about a, a woman who loses a coin. She has 10, she loses one. There's many theories as to what exactly this coin is. It could have been her dowry. It could have been a pension, part of her pension. We, we don't know for sure. What we do know is that she stopped everything that she was doing. She lit a lamp. She started sweeping everything on the floor, and then she began to look diligently, carefully, until she finally found that coin. And just like the shepherd then, she calls in everybody to rejoice and to celebrate, right? To have a party of sorts, which again is somewhat strange because the coin's value is actually not that much. And if you're inviting people over, it means you have to have something for them, which means it's very likely that she spent more money on the celebration that she found the coin than what the coin was actually worth. It's a bizarre parable. And yet, not surprisingly, it's parables, both of them, that work and are remarkably brilliant. 
if for nothing else than that they have a remarkable way to speak to everyone who is there, to the sinners, to the tax collectors, to the Pharisees, and to the scribes. I mean, let's just look briefly at, at, at one of the things. Think about who, who are the main characters in the parables? Who are those main, parable, main characters? Okay? In the parables, who are the main characters? I'm going to sit here until I hear it. The shepherd and who else? That's true. All right. So the shepherd, that's, that's true. I say they're a side character. What about in the second parable? The woman. All right. There's always one right answer. It's whatever the teacher's looking for, right? Okay. To the shepherd and the woman. Now remember, Jesus could have come up. This is a fake story. He could have come up with anyone. But he came up with the shepherd and with the woman to be the stars of the show. Now listen to me. Hear this carefully before you get angry at me. But the shepherd and the women were clearly second-class citizens. Right? I don't want the shepherds to get angry about that, okay? Second-class citizens. I mean, the sheep by now, in Jewish culture, were looked at as being thieves, as being dirty. And women, probably most of you have heard that kind of famous rabbinical prayer, blessed are you, Lord our God, ruler of the universe, who has not made me a woman. So these were not highly looked upon folks, the shepherd and the women. And yet, of all the people that Jesus could have picked, he decides to pick them. And imagine if you are sitting there and you are a second-class citizen and you know you are gathered around and you are a sinner of some sort and you are a tax collector, maybe you're a prostitute, maybe you're a shepherd, maybe you're a woman. And you're sitting there and you know that the religious leaders are mocking you because people always know when they are being condescended to. And all of a sudden, Jesus decides to make up a story that includes people just like you. Imagine as you're listening to that story, how no matter that you've lived a life where people have said that you were nothing, that you were worth nothing, where you always seem to be steps behind, where you could never get a break, and all of a sudden Jesus is using people who look just like you and who are looked upon just like you. How encouraging might that be? But then on the flip side, Jesus not only is encouraging the second-class citizens, the lost. He's also challenging, of course, the pride of the religious leaders, the people who thought for sure because of the station that they were at in life, because of the hierarchy of which they were at the top, that they surely were the most important people around. And Jesus here decides to use as a reflection of who God is a woman and a shepherd, not a priest or scribe or Pharisee. Just like that, he begins to shake the confidence that they had built their station of life, that whomever they could be, whomever they could build themselves up to, that that's how God would look at them. And all of a sudden, 
He is reminding them that their worth is based only on their dependence upon who God is. But another thing that this parable does in pretty vivid fashion is mark out and make very clear to us just how much God longs to be with us. That God will do anything, of course, in order to find us. We see it in the shepherd. He will leave behind the responsible and the reputable in order to find the one who is lost. That the woman at this point cares little for the nine. She will do whatever she can and look for however long she has to in order to find the one last coin. The intensity with which these parables show and depict the desire and the love to say nothing is going to get in the way of me and the ones that I love are a beautiful sign to the people who had gathered around on that day, just as it should be a sign to us that no matter what you've done, no matter where you've gone, no matter who you are, that there is no place you can go to which God will not do everything that he can in order to find you. That's how much God loves you. While also, of course, being a stark reminder to those religious leaders that it is never about what you do in order to find God, but it is about finally acknowledging that God has done all that is needed in order to find us, in order to find But perhaps the most significant thing as I was thinking about these parables this week is the stark reminder they are to all of us of how we must never forget the calling to which we have been called. A reminder of how easy it is for all of us to forget the mission that God has given to us. I talked about community here a few minutes ago. And I want you to know that I think clearly God created community for a purpose. God did not create us as lone sheep. God knew the importance of our being together. All that is true. All that is good and right. However, we must also always remember that we are a community that is always called to be on their way someplace. And that place to which we are always called to be going is to the lost, the least, the alone, and the unloved. And if we fail to do that, then our community will always begin to crumble. We've talked about this before, about the importance or about the fact that communities, it seems to me, of Christ do not usually crumble because they have not gathered around and sung kumbaya enough. They crumble because they have forgotten the mission to which Jesus called them to. And when that happens, just as it happened amongst the Pharisees and the scribes, you begin to circle the wagons and you begin to start living your life by comparing yourself to others. 
And you begin to get more and more grouchy as you start complaining about how the world around you has clearly lost its ways. And then you begin getting closer and closer until you start complaining about how other people are following Jesus or following God. And then you get to the point, I hope you heard the irony here, where you can even get to the point where you start complaining about the way that Jesus himself is living his life. And i got to be honest with you in saying that there are quite a few churches and Christians whom I know who are not far behind that. For whom, if Jesus were to be here now, would be able to find plenty of time to start criticizing who it is that he is hanging out with and why it is that he seems to be so welcoming to them. But let's be clear. All of us are vulnerable to the temptation to forget that we are called to be a community that is going somewhere to the least, to the lost, to the unloved, and to the alone. And I think some churches are probably more susceptible to that than others. And I would suggest to you that one of those churches is EPC. Thought about that earlier this week. Scott and I had an opportunity to go down to Tabernacle Presbyterian Church. Most of you are probably pretty familiar with that. They're at the corner of 34th and Central near downtown. As we were there, I kind of looked around, and, 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 and if you don't know 34th and Central, well, you probably hear about it from time to time on the news, right? And usually it's not good. Usually it's talking about the struggles or it's talking about the poverty or it's talking about a shooting. Right across the street from there is a, from Tabernacle Prez is a school, an elementary school. We met with some of the folks there this past week, Scott and I did. It's a school that's failing according to the state of Indiana. I mean, you go down, you look around, you can see the lostness. You can see the brokenness. And I thought to myself, you know, every Sunday after John Gable, the pastor there, gets done preaching about the mission to which people are called to love and care for the lost and the broken, they walk outside and they are reminded immediately, ah, this is what he was talking about. There's no hiding from it, a tab. Which, quite frankly, is something of a gift. Because when I'm done here preaching, you're going to walk out the sanctuary and the building, and to the east, you're going to see some bucolic woods. To the west, you're going to see a barn that will soon be a high-end grocery store. To the north, you'll see some large, beautiful homes. It won't be long until most of you completely forget the call that we have Go to the lost. Now, I hope you heard me correctly. What I didn't say is that there aren't lost. What I did say is it's oftentimes hard for us to see them. You see, one of the spiritual gifts that people in North Indy have is to be able to hide their lostness. To be able to hide their brokenness. To be able to hide where they are hurting or in pain or afraid. It's a bit like the stereotypical man, right, who's driving and who's clearly lost. And yet he he will never ask, right, for directions. Not only will he not ask, he will just step on the gas harder. 
trying to prove to everyone that he knows exactly where he's going. As I kept thinking this week about an image for the lost sheep here in northern India, I, I came up with this image here. I want you to see it. This is the image right here. Yeah. As cool as a cucumber. There's no problems. He's got the sunglasses on. He's got the smile that's painted there. Everything is good. See, this is the lost sheep. See, this is, Jesus is looking for this person. He says, no, I'm good. You realize there's nobody. Oh, I don't need anybody. You see the wolf. That's no wolf. That's a chihuahua. There's no problems. Everything's good. Fully committed to just living life and acting as if everything is okay. And what made me think about this even more this week were these questions that David Lowe's asks. My guess is perhaps thinking about a context much like ours. He says, might the parents who want their children to succeed so much that they wrap their whole lives around sports and dance recitals be lost? Might the career-minded man or woman who has made moving up the ladder the one and only priority be lost? Might the senior citizen who has a great pension plan but little sense of meaning since he or she retired be lost? Might the teenager who worked so hard to be perfect and who was willing to do just about anything to fit in, might he or she be lost? There are, of course, a plethora of other questions that could be asked, all of them pointing to the reality that in our community, just like in every community in the world, there are people who are lost, pointing, it seems to me, to the reality that we can never fail to forget that we are a community that has been forged by Christ to be on mission to seek out the least, to seek out those who are suffering, those who are afraid. Here is the reality. I don't care what school you get into, what car you drive, what house you live in, or upon what island you vacation on. Everyone needs the healing presence of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ needs all of us to help to go out and find those people and let them know of the love of Jesus, to eat with them, to dine with them, to rest with them, to play with them, to be the presence of the one who says, I will let nothing get in between me and you whom I love. It is why the decisions that we make here at ZPC and the decisions that we don't make It's why the risks we take, the new things we try, the old things we let die, all of those things must be looked at and centered around whether or not they help us to fulfill the mission to go out and to reach the lost, the unloved, the lonely, and the afraid. It is upon those things, it is upon that mission that we will make every decision that we make here at ZPC. Because otherwise, all we will be is a community of grouchy and grumpy people who try to feel better about themselves by comparing themselves to those who they think are less than they are. But, here's the good news. 
If we are a people who want to be in the presence of Jesus, there is only one thing we need to do. It's to go where Jesus is. And that Jesus, that rascal, he is never satisfied to just hang out with the religious leaders. He is always going out and being with the people that we would prefer not to be with. But if we want to experience this Jesus, if we want to experience the incredible joy that comes from seeing people who have been lost to be found, then all we have to do is to make sure that we are always committed to going out and to loving and to caring for those who are in our midst, no matter what that sheep might look like, no matter how cool his sunglasses are, no matter how great her house is, no matter what. To say we will not stop till we have shared the joy of the coming kingdom of God, the feast to which God has called all of us. Sisters and brothers in Christ, let us never be satisfied to be a bunch of community grumpies who sit there talking about how bad everything else is. Let's be a people who are so caught up in being in the presence of Jesus that we can't help but follow that mission to eat and to drink, to be a people full of joy that comes only from knowing that all of us, all of us have been found. May it be so. Amen.